Welcome to our Fourth Universalist service video. My name is Ember Kelly. I'm Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society. And thank you for watching. What follows this introduction is a clip from our service on January 31st, 2021. You may see it in video or audio, whether you are joining us by video or in podcast form. In this clip, you will hear the reading and the reflection from our service today. Following that, we will have a discussion with the Reverend Claudia Jimenez, who is our guest speaker at service today and we will go in deeper into the service themes. You're invited to check out our video and our audio podcast each week. It's posted on our website, Facebook, YouTube, and your favorite podcast streaming sites. We're also working to upload them onto Instagram as well. If you like what you see, we hope you'll give us a positive review. The likes, comments, sharing, subscribing, these all help make sure that our content stays visible. Thank you again for watching, and we begin with our reading. reading this morning is entitled Turning to One Another by Margaret Wheatley. There's no power greater than a community discovering what it cares about. Ask what's possible, not what's wrong. Keep asking. Notice what you care about. Assume that many others share your dreams. Be brave enough to start a conversation that matters. Talk to people you know. Talk to people you don't know. Talk to people you never talk to. Be intrigued by the differences you hear. Expect to be surprised. Treasure curiosity more than certainty. Invite in everybody who cares to work on what's possible. Acknowledge that everyone is an expert about something. Know that creative solutions come from new connections. Remember, you don't fear people whose story you know. Real listening always brings people closer. Trust that meaningful conversations can change your world. Rely on human goodness. Stay together. Thank you, Patty. It's good to be with you this morning. My last visit to you with you was a year ago, and that was pre-COVID. So I was able to preach from your pulpit in your beautiful sanctuary. And I am so glad now to be able to be present with you virtually. So let's begin by using Ember's time travel powers to travel to the frontier to 1887 in Sioux Falls in what was then the Dakota Territory. A young girl named Queenie accompanies her mother to service at the Sioux Falls Unity Church. As she and her older brother settle into their pew, a visiting minister takes his place in the pulpit. Unable to control her surprise, Queenie explained, exclaimed, why, Mama, there's a man in the pulpit. Her brother hushed her. Yes, Queenie, men do preach sometimes. This story is told by Carolyn Bartlett Crane of a pulpit exchange she arranged in her first church. 
Today, women comprise approximately 60% of Unitarian Universalist ministers. But in the late 19th century, there were few Unitarian or Universalist women ministers in the United States. Both denominations refused to defy traditional gender roles by allowing women into ministry. Only very few were able to do that. Many women worked behind the scenes in religious education, in pastoral care, without title or pay. If women felt called to ministry, overcame the obstacles to a theological education, and became ministers, finding a job was difficult. And so, despite grueling conditions and low pay, some women could be found ministering to small, unstable congregations on the frontier, jobs their male counterparts would not take. And that's where we find Julia Bartlett Crane. If she were alive today, I think her Twitter handle would be the notorious CBC. Our story this morning highlighted other visionary work she did in public health after leaving parish ministry. Also fascinating stories. However, our focus today will be her ministry in the parish. Carol Caroline Julia Bartlett was born in Wisconsin in 1858. At an early age, she questioned church dogma. She wondered how a loving God could inflict pain randomly or send unbaptized babies or unbelievers to hell. She questioned the concept of resurrection. Her doubts and interest in ministry were ignored or rebuked. Her family encouraged her education, hoping she would outgrow her desire to be a minister. Crane attended college and graduated at the top of her class. Again, she raised the issue of ministry. Again, her father said no. She worked as a teacher and a journalist and persisted in her desire to study ministry until she wore down her father, who finally said yes. She couldn't go to the theological school, so Caroline studied independently with progressive Unitarian and Universalist ministers. Her first ministry was at All Souls Church, where we met Queenie earlier. I forgot to bring you back. I hope you did come back. Later, she served the first Unitarian church in Kalamazoo, Michigan, a church that was losing membership and for all intents and purposes was really a dying church. And Crane was intrigued by the challenge of serving a dying church. Kalamazoo was a city without resources to deal with homelessness, disease, and juvenile delinquency at a time when industrialization, immigration, and urbanization were changing the face of America. Crane saw an opportunity to expand her ministry beyond the church walls if she could keep the church alive. Crane's ministry was influenced. Her ideas came from the social gospel movement that emerged in the late 1880s. 
the growth of cities created difficult, deplorable living conditions. The need for services, education, and spiritual sustenance was pervasive. pervasive. Leaders of the social gospel movement advocated Christian engagement to address the oppressive living conditions of workers. It led to questioning theologies that ignored the poor. The social gospel inspired Crane to imagine a church not only relevant to its time, but serving community regardless race or creed, seven days a week. And remember, this was a time when racism and white supremacy were rampant in America, as they sadly are today. Crane wrote that there was no church so small, weak, and isolated that it cannot and ought not find a work of love to do. She recalled members telling her the church only needed a minister to perform funerals. Some members were reluctant to embrace a female minister, yet her intelligence, her preaching, and her organizational skills eclipsed the issue of gender as the church started to grow under her leadership. Her sermons expanded the definition of church and inspired community engagement. Crane stated in her writings that once the congregation started to grow, even the dear old people concluded not to die for a while, but to stay and work in the church. Imagine that. Crane revitalized the religious edu education program, added a midweek service, and encouraged study clubs. For example, the Unity Study Club researched the city's sewerage, water supply, and education to better understand the challenges in their community. I forgot to mention she also had a background in the burgeoning field of sociology. Crane challenged her congregation to work for the common good, as well as personal spiritual growth. Her definition of a spiritual person was one who believes, reveres, and serves the good which others call God. The good which others call God. That idea anticipates the modern Unitarian Universalist emphasis on ethics and morality and doing good rather than focusing on creeds. Deeds, not creeds. That should sound familiar. That's a big part of our Unitarian Universalist orientation. Community outreach mobilized the Kalamazoo Church during Crane's ministry. In 1893, a wealthy member donated funds for a building to serve the community. One year later, the People's Church was dedicated. Crane proposed a name change to reflect its inclusive nature, and today it is still called the People's Church of Kalamazoo. This new church included a kindergarten classroom, a gym for women, a literacy club in partnership with the black community, and vocational programs. These programs filled important needs in the community. The church was careful not to duplicate services provided by the YMCA and other 
existing organizations. Crane wrote, the chief function of the seven-day church was to inaugurate good works which ought to be carried out on a public charge, but for which the public did not yet recognize the responsibility. So finding a vacuum that no one had filled and figuring out how to fill it. And that's exactly what her church did with kindergarten and vocational programs that were so popular that the school district taxed itself to provide these types of programs in the Kalamazoo public schools. So as you have heard, Crane preached. She breathed life into a dwindling congregation, reviving it and inspiring a sense of responsibility by appealing to conscious and to the logical extension of Unitarian values into community action. Her call to action beyond the walls of the church had meaningful and lasting impacts on the Kalamazoo community. And today, when so many people are straying from institutions and are not coming through these doors, I wonder what the possibilities are for us as Unitarian Universalists. How can Carolyn's story inspire us today? Many UU congregations provide opportunities for spiritual discernment and sustenance sustenance that supports the work of living our values in the world like Crane did in The Frontier. Her response to the societal changes of her time was ministry beyond the walls of the church whose buildings serve the community seven days a week and a theology rooted in goodness, not godliness. Today, a pandemic has forced us to gather mostly virtually when we are able to return to our buildings, how are we called to respond to the challenges of our time? White supremacy culture, economic inequity, and a deeply divided nation. How will we come back? How will we use our buildings? Hoping to return to a pre-COVID normal that was toxic and abusive to so many should not be an option. How will our congregations, our communities be places of healing from the trauma and grief of the pandemic and the recent threats to our democracy? What conversations do we need to have to discover what matters to our community and how we can be allies or accomplices in justice work. This is an exciting time because it is a time, despite the sadness and the fear, the anger, the loss, it is a time for reimagining how we do church, for discerning what we are called to do in this time. Now that digital ministry has been unleashed and has been part of how we gather for the last year, what will a hybrid in-person and online church look like? So many questions and so many possibilities. If Crane could succeed 
in a small frontier town in the 1890s, imagine what UU congregations can do in 2021. May we in community realize the power of our collective agency and our imaginations to embrace the possibility of ministry in a world slowly emerging from the physical isolation caused by the pandemic. In doing so, may we come closer to that long-held goal of a beloved community where all are welcomed and all are able to live to their potential. May it be so. I look forward to your imaginings. I'm so excited today to be joined by the Reverend Claudia Jimenez for a discussion of that wonderful message that you all just got to hear as part of this video podcast. Uh, so Reverend Claudia, thanks for joining me today to sit down and talk a little further. Thank you, it's great to be with you. So with this being a historical story, with this being a story where we uh, thought about the past, where we told stories where we time traveled a little bit, uh, <laughs> Is there any stories that maybe just didn't fit into your reflection that you'd love to like kind of tell now? Well, yes, there are two, actually two stories. The, the one story that I didn't really go into was the fact that Carolyn Bartlett Crane was one of about 20 or 21 women ministers in the frontier who were called the Prophetic Sisterhood. And I think that that's so important because it calls us back to this idea that we don't do the work we do alone. They were in community and these women supported each other at a time when ministry was not only challenging, but living in the frontier was challenging. So I, I wish I had had more time to really talk uh, more about all of these amazing women ministers um, in the frontier. And then the second story that I didn't have a chance to share was a story about the banquet that was held after the building was um, inaugurated, the People's Church, after they did the renovate, the addition, they opened the new building. And so there was a banquet and they invited all the tradespeople and some of the workers alongside the congregation and other dignitaries. And it was interesting because there was a lot of fear about inviting the tradespeople and some of the workers because they, um, there was a concern that they may not know how to behave, which I think is super interesting because it does go back to that issue of classism. In, in our denomination and in many denominations that we, we rarely talk about. And in the article that I read when I was researching, it turns out that the tradesperson that spoke uh, used simple language and was very eloquent and could be heard. And I think that's those are lessons that we're learning today as we're, we're learning to cross boundaries and to be with different people and to decenter Eurocentric ways of thinking and communicating and being open to what people bring. Um, so that was a story too that I would have loved to have included in the sermon. Oh man, I think we could we could record a whole, you know, like hour long podcast about both of those stories. There's <laughs> there's so much that I could want to dive into, but as somebody who's gone through seminary, uh, you know, I you know, the cohort feeling, I imagine maybe it was similar for for all of these 
uh, this, this group of, of women uh, preachers on the frontier getting out there uh, and working together. Um, I, I, have, I have to imagine that was daunting. And, then, and a lot of them on horseback. There were some of them that would go on horseback from church to church. <laughs> uh, I have a, I have a, I have a mentor and friend who he's a, he's a pastor who splits his time between two churches in Wisconsin. You know, we got cars, and that's still like you know a little bit of a pain for him. So I can't imagine like getting around horseback to each individual congregation. Oh. And yeah, that, that classism that's you know often an unspoken. Uh, thing that we we don't often acknowledge uh, like who is getting the voice in in these communities and how it's often the those with more money to to donate or such things so that well there's there's a hour-long podcast that we will record someday there um, I will hold myself in self-control here um, so one of the statements uh, and it was especially interesting to me as somebody who uh, grew up evangelical Christian you know which is very uh, uh, faith not works, uh, but the statement of deeds not creeds, which is kind of the opposite of what I was raised on. So, how do you think? How do we live that out well in our in our lives and in our communities? Well, I, I think that part of it is, you know, it, it's that that kind of parenting idea. You know, do what I say not what I do, and how we're challenged as people of faith, as human beings, to really walk the talk of what we say we believe. If we, if we want equity, if we want justice, if our liberation is a mutual liberation, I have to be able to walk the talk. And sometimes that means being uncomfortable. Sometimes that means crossing boundaries. And I, th I think that that's a challenge. And for us as Unitarian Universalists, I think the blessing of our faith is that we are not creedal and we don't get hung up on what are the things we say we believe. And we encourage each other to really try to live our teachings, you know, because our principles are not our theology. They are our teachings of how we aspire to be in the world. And I find that sometimes, and this has just been my own experience, I sometimes feel that we see our faith more as a social club. And we see our faith as a social justice movement. And I think we lose the creedal part in terms of we lose the spiritual sustenance. Up, oh, there's a fire truck, can you hear it? I was no, going to say that you're, you're sounding the alarms about this problem, yeah. literally. <laughs> yeah, there's a response. Um, and so how do we balance that? Because we do need to have that spiritual grounding. Whatever creeds, whatever path, Buddhist, pagan, Wiccan, Christian, Jewish, whatever path we embrace for spiritual sustenance that is nurtured in our worship gatherings, you know, is what grounds us to walk the talk. And it's our community that holds us accountable. And so I think that that's our challenge, even for myself as a minister. You know, whenever I, I prepare a sermon or I talk to people, I have to constantly call myself in and say, hey, you're saying this. And are you really doing this or are you just doing this? <laughs> and so, you know, we're, we're imperfect and we, uh, we miss the mark. Um, and our community holds us accountable. But I love that we are oriented toward 
the, the mutual liberation, that we're oriented toward justice and we need that spiritual grounding that we get in our community. Well, and I can't help but think, uh, while, while we may often devalue education in terms of budgets, we are, as a society, we're very academic, very like books, educational. We want, you know, I'll read a book about this uh, is, is much easier than like, I'm gonna put this into action. Um, yeah. you know, we, we, uh, uh, and as a RE director who does book studies and book, book clubs, um, you know, oftentimes instead of, uh, instead of action, we decide to just academicize it and make it something that we can study and talk about and get a degree in, um, right. but not, not change. Um, you know, that's the, where you got to match the, the, with the actions there for sure. And I think that that's part of our heritage and our understanding of how we do religion in, in some ways. And I think that, you know, that's our, our, our growing edge. And it's hard because, for example, right now, so many congregations are tackling um, the theme and the reality of white supremacy and of inequity. And we read, you know, we read Kendi, we read Wilkinson, we do me and white supremacy, we talk, we do a lot of curricula. And then the challenge is we live in a segregated world. We live in, in mostly segregated communities. How do we? come and to be in relationship with each other so we can actually be allies and accomplices. So I think, you know, that's part of, of that challenge that we do a lot of this work, a lot of the book work, and we live lives where we really have to go out of our comfort zone to cross boundaries and be in community and not tokenize people. And that, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge. And I can see the ease of, well, I'm gonna read about it, talk about it, you know, and so I, I think that that's where we have to start imagining, okay, so what do we do with this? And how do we find a way to go from just learning about these issues and engaging with real people without tokenizing them? And that's super, it's super complicated, you know? Like I serve a mostly white congregation and, and so how do we do that when we are in a very affluent neighborhood, we, we don't live in a diverse community to begin with? It's hard, and, and I, don't, I don't have any answers, but I think we also have to be realistic um, that we're trying, and it's just we live in, in complicated times, and you know, we've become so segregated um, that it's, it's, it's a challenge. Oh, I think that that's... Uh... Oh, that's a, that's some that's some some meat to chew on right there, um, and as you uh, as you kind of mentioned at the at the end of the reflection, you know this is this is stuff for us to chew on as we get thinking about what is life post COVID, what is what is the new normal, what is you know how do we how do we do ministry mm -hmm. um, as kind of an ending? Do you have any you know just imaginings that you'd like to share with us about you know what that could look like well one one of my imaginings i one of part of my portfolio is faith development so i have a lot of conversation with our religious educators and so until all of the um the the variants of the virus uh started popping up the kids were doing occasional masked gatherings and hikes and things like that and then we kind of uh, slowed that down because we want to be respectful of of what's happening. But one of the things we talk about is, you know, what is 
RE, what is religious education going to look like with, with this opportunity that we have now for hybrid engagement? And then I think what comes with that is how do we staff for this? What skills do we need and how do we do that in a time when all churches you know, the predictions are that when we gather again in person, there's going to be excitement about gathering, but there are people that are not going to come back. There are people that have lost the habit or that, for whatever reason, are not coming back. And then, you know, we have that larger picture. So how do we maintain engagement? And I, I read an article where, you know, our buildings are no longer going to be what brings people to church, but our buildings are going to be part of what engages beyond the four walls. And so what I imagine is that hybrid and how do we equip ourselves for that um, and how do we honor the, the need that we have as, as social beings to just be eye to eye and hand to hand. You know, I don't know that I'll be shaking hands anymore after I preach, maybe <laughs> an elbow bump or something like that. But yeah, I think it's it's about doing this hybrid and, and then thinking, you know, who are members and what is church and where do we worship? Does it always have to be in our building? You know, so I think that there's a lot of possibility. And I, and I, and I think it's working with our teams in, in church and with our, in our membership and talking about, you know, what, what can we do? Because we can't just go back to, um, to what we were doing before. I think it would be foolish. Oh, I hope that people take the time to, to follow up, not just listen to the reflection, but also listen to this dive deeper because, wow, this has just given me uh, a lot to think about as well, especially as somebody who has come on not only as the, the DRE, but also uh, who has quickly developed some audio editing and video <laughs> editing skills. Yes. Um, so, you know, suddenly we're, we're in a new world and it's a world of possibilities. Uh, you know, yeah. got to choose to have that little bit of hope. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you so much for joining us both for the podcast and for the service today. Uh, it was wonderful you. having you. Thanks. And thanks again for that amazing story. What a joy. Thank for you. For those watching in the, in the future, we had a little time traveling during our time for all ages. <laughs> all right. Blessings to you and to your listeners. Be well and stay safe. <laughs>